0: Pfizer gets exposed, critical race theory comes unraveled in less than a minute, and the CDC lies about COVID and kids again. I'm Andrew Coppins, flying solo on this edition of Critical Thinking. Good Thursday to you. It's a deep dive Thursday, usually on the program, and usually Pat Oney is with me. However, I am flying solo today. Follow me on your favorite social media platforms. I am at The Coppins Show. You can also find the show on Instagram at Critical Thinking Show if you want to support us over there. However, we've kind of stopped posting there, uh, considering the amount of strikes that you can easily obtain just by speaking truth to power. And there's a lot of truth being spoken on today's program. We're going to focus in on a German papers expose of Pfizer and it's phase three clinical trials. Daniel Horowitz has a ton of information and we're going to go through it. We're going to show you a video that literally unravels the entirety of critical race theory in less than a minute. And it actually has little to nothing to do with critical race theory itself. So stick around to the end for that one. But um, before we get into the Daniel Horowitz uh, situation and the crux of the the paper in Germany that exposed Pfizer and its phase three clinical trials and all of the BS that we've gone through over the last three years, I actually want to start with the CDC today. And what we know from the CDC is this, okay? First and foremost, I believe this was on February 22nd. The CDC tweeted this out. CDC study finds that people aged 12 years and older who got an updated COVID-19 vaccine were less likely to get infected or die from COVID-19 compared to compared with those who did not get an updated COVID-19 vaccine. You can find out more information, right? So, okay, is that possibly true? Well, there's going to be one rule and one rule that applies to all of this information. If it is garbage data coming in, you're going to get garbage data coming out. It is a hard and fast data analysis rule. You have to know the inputs before you know the outputs. Do you have quality inputs? Are you getting all of the information? Are you seeing a a holistic picture? Or are you too micro focused to see the macro picture? And I have used this over and over again. A prime example of this is in my past life. If we were to get a call from a single parking garage, noting that uh, five different people couldn't get in in an hour. Is that a problem? Well, it's a problem for the five people obviously who paid for parking and couldn't get it right. But is that indicative of a larger systemic problem at that garage that we need to either increase or decrease inventory or work with dynamic pricing or doing any of these sorts of things, right? Well, here's the question. If I only took just the calls of uh, the garage being sold out, right? If I only took that information and inputted it, it would be suggestive that there's a massive problem. Now, if I took the totality of all the people that part on our system in that garage over the course of a month versus the people who were unable to, and those are the only five people in literally thousands of transactions have happened, is that really a systemic problem? No, no, it's not. But for the customer service rep who might alert me to something like that, it would seem like a problem that is systemic because they are only dealing with problem cases nine times out of 10. So uh, that's why I use garbage data in, garbage data out, okay? Because if you are using incorrect inputs, if you're using corrupted data, if you're using data that means one thing for one group of people that you're collecting data from, and it means something totally different to a second group, You have to be able to account for that. And oftentimes, you can't if definitions are not similar. So I want you to put that garbage data in, garbage data out mindset into play here. Because, yes, did you notice the CDC? Again, let me pull this up real quick for you. The CDC notes people aged 12 years and older. Okay, 12 years and older. They didn't say 12 to 17 or those children that were involved. No, they said 12 and older. That actually could mean what? They're including everybody. They are including every single person who is over the age of 12. Period. Point blank. Again, precise language matters here finds that people aged 12 years or older. They didn't say, they did not specify, again, children. They said people aged 12 and older. And there's a very important reason for that, because as I'm about to show you, our friend Kevin Bass, who I don't always agree with, and that's a good thing, but Kevin Bass points out, this is absolute this is pseudoscience. You cannot extrapolate from observational studies to present these giant effect sizes and make recommendations due to residual confounding. You need randomized controlled trials. This is scientifically very inappropriate and incredibly deceptive. He's right. Because once we actually click on the link, you realize this is totally an observational study that the CDC is putting out there and is propagandizing that if you're 12 or older, hey, man, there's nothing to worry about here if you get the shot. In fact, you are much more likely to protect yourself than not. And that is simply not true in any way, shape, or form. I'm about to show you why, because Kyle Lamb, One of our good friends as well in the data world points this out. There were three total deaths, maybe from, maybe with, maybe incomplete status, in ages 12 through 17 during the late Omicron, or bivalent period. Yet CDC lumped 12 to 17 in with all ages to justify their stance that 12 through 17 receives the same benefit as all other ages. Purely despicable. In the late stages of Omicron, okay? I want you to think about that. Three deaths from 12 to 17. Three people in that entire age group passed away. That's horrible. It's terrible. It's awful for the people who had to experience that, okay? But again, we don't know if it was even from directly getting covid if it was with COVID and complications or some other incomplete status. So we don't even know the totality or the truth or the input information. The CDC studies sleight of hand is lumping, as Kyle Lamb also pointed out, the 12 through 17 crowd with the rest of the generalized adult population. This is absolute panic porn, folks. They're still doing it. They are still doing it to you. The CDC is still out there putting out this kind of absolute garbage for you to consume so that you, as a parent, can be afraid for your 12 year old not getting the continued clot shots. And I'm using that in a very, very, very strategic way. I don't believe in throwing these that term around, okay? I don't. But one of the biggest, well, let me put it this way. One of the largest side effects known to children is actually blood clotting and myocarditis. And these are the two most known side effects to young children. A blood clot can equally kill a child as COVID could. In fact, it's actually way more dangerous if you look at the statistical analysis. So is having myocarditis, by the way, or pericarditis, or pre-myocarditis. Yet, the CDC is out there attempting to tell you that everybody over the age of 12 benefits from getting the shot. No, they actually don't, number one. And number two, even if that would be somewhat of a truth, you're recommending this because children are going to die. We are talking three kids out of, what, tens if not a 100 million children in this country? Okay, so maybe it's 50 million. What are you attempting to do here other than to induce absolute fear? And on that note, I think hopefully you guys will take this information and pass it along and do something with it. Garbage data in, garbage data out. Observational study when you need a controlled trial to really tell you whether this information would be true or not is important. And more importantly, you also need the caveat of, oh, wait, there's only three kids aged 12 through 17 who died either with, from, or some incomplete status of COVID during the last stage of Omicron? Wouldn't that be some prudent information for people to know, for you to talk about when you are gathering with your, you know, parent groups and and uh, the kids are getting together for playdates or whatever have you, and you're sitting there as adults talking to each other, wouldn't this be some important information to be able to buttress the arguments and the panic and the fear that many parents have somewhat rightly felt? Should you be fearful of a disease like that? I could talk about diphtheria. I could talk about all sorts of diseases all across the globe that kill literally a thousand thousand times more children every single day, every single year than has resulted in the COVID-19 obsession in this country of, of we got to get a shot into every kid's arm. Now, that's not to suggest that we got to get a shot in every kid's arm for all of these other things. It is to realize that we need some perspective on all of this that we need to treat it seriously if somebody gets it, but we can't live our lives in fear. This has been going on for way too long, and the CDC's attempt to push that panic button again is absolutely reprehensible, in my view. But equally reprehensible to that is what has been taking place in Germany, and reprehensible, by the way, in Germany, is the actions and the reaction of Pfizer to an article that DeVilt, one of the biggest, if not the biggest newspaper in Germany, put out an expose, a long-form, multi-day expose into Pfizer and its clinical trials and the results and what was hidden or not hidden. And this is one of the key things that we have talked about over time, And in fact, Daniel Horowitz, when he was on our program on Monday, spoke about some of this prior to him releasing the article. And I thought that we should go through it because some of this information is shocking even to me. So let's go ahead and take a look at this because uh, Daniel Horowitz writes an article titled, Major German Paper Reveals Pfizer-Fabricated Clinical Trials to Cover Up Deaths. Say what? Have you even heard about this? So, he starts with some information that I think is important. According to new provisional data from the Scottish government, there were 7,314 deaths registered in January of 2023. That's an increase of 17.7% compared to the average of 62.12. For the second week of January, there were more deaths in Scotland than ever before, including during the peak of the pandemic. Concurrently, there were 4,159 births registered in January of 2023, a decrease of 6.8% compared to the average of 4,463. In other words, between a dearth of births and a plethora of deaths, there were roughly 1,400 fewer souls, the equivalent of roughly 86,000 fewer people net in the United States. And this is long after COVID. Why? Is there zero concern? Now, I think Daniel's bringing this information up so that we can more broadly understand the impact of what is something is amiss. Okay, I don't have the answer. Daniel does not have the answer. Nobody has the answer. Something is off. And the hypothesis that I have that I would love to be tested out further and further is that in Western Europe, not so much here in the United States of America, by the way, because we are not seeing some of the excess death trends uh, going the exact same route here in America that we have seen in Western Europe. But my hypothesis is that this is largely due to negative health outcomes from 85-90% of Scottish and UK residents, more broadly, getting their shot over and over and over again. And we're starting to now, as we get beyond that that third shot, right? And its quote unquote efficacy and, and all the things, we are starting to now more broadly see implications of what these shots have done to broader society. That is my hypothesis: is that the reason we are seeing this, this uptick in death is, is related to potential side effects of getting these shots long-term. That's where I think we are headed here, is that we are starting to see this. And in the United States, we are going to see this more slowly. Why? Because we were more slow to adopt getting these shots into the arms of more and more people. And less and less people got the, after two shots, then the third, less and less people continued on four, and less and less people on five and Certainly not six. So as we go further and further out from the slower rollout that existed in the United States of America, we are about to watch this trend trickle in here in this country. So it's something important to pay attention to when it comes to these numbers. But that is not the overall point of Daniel's article. He is setting you up to also let you know that all of this could have been avoided. As Daniel Horowitz points out, DeVilt, a paper based in the home country of Pfizer partner BioNTech, revealed last week in a long expose what many of us have long known. All those sudden deaths, heart attacks, and strokes we've been witnessing over the past two years were indeed observed during the Pfizer clinical trial that supposedly showed the shots to be 100% safe and effective. The company simply covered up the severe adverse events by kicking those participants out of the trial and or suggesting without evidence that the deaths had nothing to do with the experiment. And that has been part and parcel of why I have argued all the time about we have not stratified the data of death here in the United States of America and elsewhere enough for us to be able to understand the implications of COVID death. Because one state might say this is, one state might stratify the data by with, from, undetermined. Another state doesn't do that. How does the CDC take these inputted information and not stratify the data out? Instead, they just lump it all together. Okay, we're, we're just going to lump all everybody who died and had a COVID certificate. At some point in time, COVID is mentioned, they're all counted as COVID deaths. We have long talked about the idiocy of that and how it would have been very, very simple for, state, for the CDC to ask states, thus the states then asking the municipalities who handle the death certificates, that you must indicate whether this was exactly from COVID or, you know, other circumstances this was a secondary cause of the death, or if this was unrelated completely. We could have easily done it, and we didn't. But furthermore, again, the implication in the VILT is that Pfizer knew their shots caused a significant increase in the chance of death. Because here's the reality. It would be one thing if we saw, you know, one or two or three people, right? It, that would be one thing in a randomized trial of 1,200 if we saw just a few people having some issues or dying, okay? That's part of the clinical trial process here. We need to understand it's a sad Reality to 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 realize that some people voluntarily went to their own death, hoping that whatever happened. But that's the nature of clinical trials. You're you're never going to get it a hundred percent correct, because it's a trial. But what Devilt has laid out is one of the most egregious insane and derelict things I have ever seen. So let's continue down this path here because as uh, Mr. Horowitz notes, remember the CDC announced a few weeks ago that it it had finally studied a potential association between the COVID shots and strokes. Well, it turns out the agency had an opportunity to study it already in 2020 before a single human being outside of the trial was injected. Patient number 11621327 was more than a mere number. He was a human being found dead from a stroke in his apartment just three days after the second dose. Typically, with a novel product in trial, any death, even one not-so-sudden, makes the product suspect until it is proven innocent. Yet in this case, Pfizer simply dismissed the death as not related to the vaccine, just as the company did with patient number 11521497 who died 20 days later from cardiac arrest. So what Daniel is telling us is that Pfizer had not one, but two patients, who had a stroke or a cardiac event, okay? So Pfizer continues the study, not in a suspect way, as in we need to dig in further to this information and find out if this is actually something that killed our patients here. Instead, what did they do? Well, we're about to find out. Overall, 21 participants in Pfizer's phase three trial Died Again, 21 in the Phase 3 trial died, as compared to 17 in the control group before they were unblinded, which should have been a red flag before the shot ever took off. Pfizer claimed there was no evidence anyone, again, anyone, died from the vaccine. But after it's been revealed that a number of people in the trial suffered heart ailments, and strokes, the company's defense holds no water. Yet here we are over two years later and the shots are still on the market, promoted like manna from heaven and even mandated in most hospitals and universities, including in red states. How is this not a top public policy issue of our day? So I want you to understand this. What Daniel Horowitz is telling us and what the data has told us and what DeViltz publication has told us is that more people in the experimental group died after receiving the shot than the control group, right? Which is the people who got a placebo or two of them. More people who got the shot died Again, I'm going to say this, more people who got their COVID vaccinations ended up dying in the trial than those of the control group before they were unblinded, by the way, which is a very odd thing to do until the trial is completely over. Because the control group could have been one way or another. I, I. More people who got the shot died. This is an indisputable fact that Pfizer hid. But it gets worse, folks. Pfizer responded to DeVilt Reporter by asserting that regulatory authorities around the world have approved our COVID-19 vaccine. These approvals are based on a robust and independent assessment of the scientific data on quality, safety, and efficacy, including the Phase 3 clinical trial. Sure, authorities guaranteed the company's endless funding, marketing, mandates, and indemnity so that Pfizer would have no incentive to even release the true results of its trial much less make the product better. That's right, folks. There's nothing to see here. What are you talking about, Willis? Nothing? Nothing to see here? Nothing? Now, the article goes into providing more details on the Buenos Aires uh, trial site in Argentina, the largest one in the world, in which attorney Augusto Roe had severely injured, was severely injured with pericarditis and liver damage. Instead of being recorded as a severe adverse event, he was marked as having had COVID, even though he had tested negative and was summarily removed from the trial. Roe was on Horowitz's podcast last July and told Horowitz that Pfizer refused to help treat his injury because officials felt that had nothing to do with the vaccine. And then insurance also refused to pay for treatment because the insurance company blamed it on him willingly joining the trial. And thus, the merry-go-round goes round and round and round. Now, we also need to know this. DeVilt reports that on August 31st of 2020, 53 of those in the trial in Buenos Aires were magically unblinded and removed from the trial against the protocol, which calls for this unblinding only to happen in emergencies. Now, unless all 53 of these cases were emergencies, right? Wink, wink. By the end of the second dose, a further, so of the 53, okay, they were all, they were just removed. So they don't count in the data anymore. By the end of the second dose, a further 200 individuals were removed from the trial, meaning that overall more than 250 of the original 1,231 participants were terminated, thereby making the entirety of the data from the largest trial site in the world irrelevant to use in the final trial results. So, 250. Let's do some quick math here, folks. Let's do 250 divided by 12. 131 that is over 20 percent of the participants folks having adverse adverse effects or other things happen to them that is more than 250 if you did 253 you're closer to 25 percent a quarter of the entire original trial group is gone It makes the rest of the results irrelevant. Why? Because the people that you unblinded and removed from the trial were the people who were sick. The people who took the shot. The people who stood there and and volunteered themselves and you threw them in the trash. Why? Because it was going to harm your ability to put this into the arms of literally hundreds of millions of people. And get that sweet, sweet payday from the United States government and governments from around the world. Oh, and by the way, who cares about what these people had or what was going on? We are indemnified from it. I, I just... I, I, This isn't just... Well, they they did something. They fabricated the data. They structured the final clinical trial data in a way that would allow them to look like they had a perfect shot. This is Theranos stuff, folks. This is stuff that you would see in a movie, in a Tom Clancy novel, or whatever have you. This is stuff that you would see in the Pelican Brief, for crying out loud. We are literally, we literally have caught them red-handed manipulating, fabricating its clinical trial data to look as good as humanly possible. The things that everybody has, has wondered about are these Are these on the up and up? Are these trials really on the up and up? Or or are we just living in, like, is there really all of these, you know, television shows that have these as plot lines over and over again? Is this really something that happens? Yes. And it's not just about COVID. We have Moderna and other people doing an RSV trial right now. And Daniel Horowitz points this out. Amid all the existential threats to our security, civilization, culture, and economy, and there are certainly many, can you think of anything that matches the severity of this issue? From died suddenly to plummeting birth rates, how is the vaccine issue not the top concern of all public policy, given that it was injected into 5.5 billion people? and officials are on the cusp of approving more mRNA shots. Meanwhile, we actually have the data that suggests these things are not as effective, number one, and are actually really dangerous. We are talking about 25% of the people who took them ending up with adverse events or dead? 25%? Even 1% is a threshold that is too much for most medications to get CDC approval or FDA approval. So now we're supposed to believe, right? Moderna's own published phase three trials showing that it's shot for RSV is 84% effective and there's no serious adverse events that ever occurred. Shh. If Pfizer's doing it, you don't think Moderna's doing it? What are we doing as a country? What are we doing as a society? It is time for some accountability. We have the information. We literally have a German freaking paper, a newspaper in Germany, doing this expose work. And is anybody being held to account for it? Is anybody on your national news? Is anybody on Fox News even talking about this? How in the hell is this not a thing that people don't care about, that people care about? How is it not something you care about? The health and well-being. You know friends, family, you likely were forced into it yourself. Now, I was lucky enough to not have to worry about that because I employ myself, because I run my own business, so I make the decisions about my situation. What the hell are we doing to ourselves? We're watching birth rates plummet, death rates increase. We are watching exactly what happened in the Pfizer study. Okay? We are watching it play out in front of us. And we are unwilling to connect the dots just like the story I told you about them taking 10 years to pull the shot for I believe H1 excuse me, H1N1 to pull it off the market because They couldn't connect the dots of all of these random women having all of these really weird issues involving their reproductive organs. How is that possible for 10 years that these women are just... What is the... Oh bleep, it's the H1N1 vaccine. It took them 10 years to figure that out. When it actually wind up being available in the clinical trials. We have... Caught them red-handed. What are you willing to do about it? Now, from the serious to the I cannot believe this happened, folks, I don't know if you know who Angela Davis is, but if you don't, and you know the term critical race theory, you know it because of Angela Davis. She is a radical, radical, radical of the 60s. She spent years being radicalized. She created critical race theory with a few other individuals. She's a professor at the University of California, Berkeley, because of course. And again, she is a critical race theorist. This is from a brand new season of, I think it's a fascinating Um, ancestry show on pbs but this this little snippet watch critical race theory come unraveled in less than one minute of television glory any idea what you're looking at that is a list of the passengers on the mayflower No, I can't believe this. No. (laughs) My ancestors did not come here on the Mayflower. Your ancestors came on the Mayflower. No, no, no. You are descended from one of the 101 people who sailed on the Mayflower. Oof. That's a little bit too much (laughs) to deal with right now. Did you ever in your wildest dreams... Think that you may have descended from people who laid never the foundation never, for this country. <laughs> never, never, never. It's a fascinating program, by the way. If you've never seen it, you really should. Um, it is absolutely fascinating. They take a bunch of celebrities and politicians and people um and, and trace their histories back. And some of them they find just absolutely fascinating information. And personally, I find genealogy to be absolutely fascinating in and of itself. And I would love if Henry Louis Gates is uh, is around and listening or anybody that knows him is listening. I would love to be a subject of that show because I absolutely find it fascinating. Um, familial history and and the realities of it versus the stories and and what stories could be true and not true and this and that and the other thing. Um, but folks, you just watched Angela Davis as, as she's processing this information. You can literally see the thought bubble in her head going, oh, no. Every single thing that I have taught for 50 years just became unraveled. Why? She is a descendant of the people she would believe to have been her oppressors. So is she the oppressed or the oppressor? Because that's what critical race theory is based upon. There's an oppressor class and an oppressed class. And you can only be in the oppressed class because you are a descendant of slaves. And you can only be in the oppressor class because you were the slave owners or the white people who even didn't own slaves. But you were you oppressed them because you allowed it to happen. So which one are you? Which one are you? You are literally a descendant from the Mayflower. You can't get more original Americana than that. So does that make you an oppressor? Because um yes, the 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 pilgrims would not have taken slaves themselves, but um they didn't stop future people from doing so. So you are a slave-owning bigot, Angela Davis. This is the insanity. I don't, I don't actually believe that, folks. This is the insanity of the critical race theory uh, suggestions out there and the academic thought process of critical race theory. And that's why it's dangerous to teach this to kids. Look, if you want to expose yourself to that, and by the way, a total Marxist, by the way, Angela Davis, like not even uh, not even a socialist, but just an absolute avowed Marxist to this very day. Hilarious to watch her entire adult life come tumbling down in front of her because she's done so much harm to so many people. And with that, folks, I'm going to wrap up today's show. Uh, hopefully pat will be back with us tomorrow he just needed a day off uh dealing with a little bit of a sickness that was affecting his ability to talk and that's kind of a problem so with that being said please be smart be safe be kind as always matthew 547